Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Flight podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. Now, this latest episode is a little bit different and a bit more far-flung as I've recently returned from a week fly fishing for sea-run Arctic char in Greenland and what an experience it was. So, you're going to hear from the local Inuit, the Danish chef, the German camp manager and even the Welsh guide to get an insight into what made the trip so special. And Tom, I have to say, it's one that's off my bucket list now. Yeah, I'm incredibly jealous and I'm really looking forward to hearing about it. Really am. Um, so, I mean, like, where do I, I don't know where to start, but like, <laughs> I, we had a brief, we, we, we just said before we did this for the listeners out there, that we were going to go straight into this because I was I was about to ask you, Dara, straight away. I said, no, no, we'll wait till we're yeah, recording. Don't spoil but it. I, don't, spoiler don't spoil alert, it. there was fish caught. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe it. So, come here, what was it like? Oh, just like mind-blowing amazing incredible um the one thing i would say it's got under my skin now that kind of uh destination angling is that what they call it uh yeah, where, where, yeah, you, where you angling. where you mortgage the house every few years to go on one of these yeah. trips like um it was just yeah like even the last few days we were like okay patagonia right when can we do patagonia 2024 right let's you know alaska when's that you know it was just like it's literally like the only way I can describe it, we'll talk about the fishing in a minute, obviously, but like, it's like, it was like just the adventure of it, you know? Um, it was three days to get there. Well, it actually took us four originally, right? So flew Dublin to Copenhagen. Uh, you stay overnight in Copenhagen. Then you fly Copenhagen to Kangerlussak, which is their international airport in Greenland. Then we you, connect, you get a connecting flight, which is only 40 minutes um down or up the coast because basically there's no there's no roads in greenland it's because the interior is just mountains and snow so all the local villages they're all around the coast so the only way they get around is by either boat or airplane there are there isn't actually a road network there's no road network yeah (laughs) try putting in google maps to go from (laughs) kangaroo to manistock it doesn't like yeah yeah because like literally the interior is just snow and mountains like it's it's unreal like as you were flying in and it was even like it took my breath away as we were flying in and you just get that first picture of it like you're just like wow this this is different the best way i can describe it is it's like the land the time forgot or like going back in time yeah. you know it's there's no people it's untouched it's just raw raw wilderness so when you the place you flew into from your connecting flight it was 40 minutes from their international hub uh what was that it was obviously was it a village no so but but yeah so well first off we were 24 hours in the in the airport because there was a storm further south so we uh, we were being told oh yeah the flight's been delayed by five hours then it was like no you know your flight's cancelled no it's back on so there's this storm which was brewing so all flights were cancelled so we spent 24 hours in the airport so we were getting a bit cabin fever at that stage Finally, the next morning we got out um, and basically what is place is called Manistock. And what it is, is it's basically a fish town, essentially. So there's a, a government owns the fish factory there. So all the fishermen are based there. They bring in their limit of cod and then um, the government obviously buys it off them. And that's how they make the living. There's only 2000 people in the town. Like, you know, I took a walk around it. Like we even went into the fish market 
and like there was porpoise, uh, what was there, like halibut, you know, all just, yeah. you know, just seeing it there, like laid out on the uh, on the, the shelves, like. Um, and who, and who's buying that? Who, who, who like, if it's only 2,000, is it the locals or do buyers come in and buy it? Like, so basically there's two types, essentially, is you've got, for the local Indians, you've got the hunters and the fishermen. So most of them are fishermen. They're all boat people. They're all seafaring people. Mm. You know, and, um, you know, we'll hear it in a minute, actually, from France, who was a local Inuit working in the camp in the sense of they basically catch the cod, so much cod out there, they have their quota, and that's you know how they live in terms of the money and all that. But then the hunters who go off, actually was hunting season, summertime, they basically go off into the interior and they catch the reindeer and the muskox for the winter. That's their food for the winter. So it's like primitive hunter-gatherer type stuff. Like And so the shops, uh, and again, you'll hear from um, Bjorn, who's a Danish chef who works in the, like, the supermarket, so basically it's potatoes and rice it's staples like that that they're buying you know what i mean but the actual the ordinary food that's caught that's all caught so like if the hunters don't catch, yeah if the hunters don't get their reindeer the family mm. ain't eaten for the winter like you know rice so wow um, but i tell you what let's, let's maybe hear from france france was a local inuit and um, big bear of a guy and he was working in the camp like, like i have well i've been in lapland and the sami people were should we say physically looked different did did this guy france did he look like um like did he look danish or did he look like an inuit no he's an inuit um, and even interestingly one of the guys was telling us uh, from the camp the inuits of greenland like because i was asking like because iceland's only two hours flight right mm. uh, it was a four-hour flight from copenhagen i said is there any and he says iceland is europe that might as well be new york to them that basically right. they how, how, who they're actually genetically re- related to yeah. are the Inuits of North America, Canada. Wow. So it's that side. If you can think of British Columbia, yeah. that far yeah. northeastern corner of Canada, that's where they associate and identify culturally with, with that people. Um, so I got a chance to, to chat to Franz. Um, and here's just a kind of couple of minutes of it, just to kind of get an insight into kind of what his life was like and just insights into kind of the local Greenland way. Uh, we have a lot of uh, fishermen. They have their own boats, and they use net like cut fishing. It's coming into the nets, so they have a lot, maybe up to twenty tons for only one net. So the the last maybe five to ten years, they use a lot uh, these net. But mainly cod. Is that cod is the yeah. main? Yeah. yeah. Um, and char, not char, not salmon, no. Not for selling, I mean, to produce something in factory, but the most is yeah, only cut. But north in Greenland, it's halibut. Even I have been trying uh, in the ocean, try to catch some halibut. We have too many cut. So when I sink my la- line, uh, we all, even it's not the bottom, it's, I mean, we we catch all the time. Cut. My grandfather, he was fisherman, but uh, my father, he also fishing. Uh, I mean, when he was child, he told me that they, he. I mean, we helped together. Like my grandfather said to him and for me, uh, in summer we have to fishing, so we have to sleep maybe only three hours. We have to work. In the winter, so we will sleep. And tell me this: you must think we're crazy 
coming over here to fish with a fly rod and then put them back. Yeah. I mean, we knew I'd do that, but we just knew that we have a lot of fish and we always enjoy. But we, I don't normally, I never tried uh, fly fishing, only that, uh, how do you call it? spinning? Spinning, yeah. Yes, yes. So you think kind of maybe the way fishing is going, it'll you know become less, and that it'll be tourism will become the main maybe way of earning a living. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of good things that uh, not everybody's fishing and hunting, and but the younger ones like uh, I'm forty one. I know both, but. Uh, young, like my friends, some of my friends, they don't know how to hunting or. Is Gas there? At a, he was sort of um, hiding back. He more or less did think you were crazy coming here fly fishing and putting the fish back. Oh, yeah, because for them, it's fishing. It, like, go back to that hunter gatherer. You know, fishing yeah. is food and your money. Simple as. Moving from France now, but I gotta ask you did you eat the chair? No, we weren't allowed. What? Yeah, you, get, to, you aren't even allowed one. I thought I uh, thought you were allowed to take one. Yeah, you know, you've hit a sore point now in the camp. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so we were asked. We asked, and yeah. basically we were told now it was too early in the season that the run hadn't come in enough. Now bear in mind, right? So this fishery, the Kangia River, is probably we should probably <laughs> start talking about the fishing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> give people some insight so it's basically the Kangia River um, and so it's basically this it's 10 kilometer stretch and at the top of it is a waterfall so the, 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 the sea run arctic jar that come up the fjord can't go any further right? so they so, have that 10 kilometers and that's the sea run arctic jar yeah. that's, so that's, you, their, that's their zone well that's the stretch of the river there's nobody else on this so you yeah. literally have this, this river like there's rapids for the first bit, and then there's this 10 kilometer stretch. How close was that to the, the, the village of 2000 or the town of oh, 2000? Oh, Manistock. Manistock was two hours by boat. Oh, so you, sorry, sorry, because we've, I, I am the worst interviewer in the world here. I've jumped all over the place. Right. So when you got to Manistock, you had to get a boat connection to the fishing lodge or exactly. the fishing lodge. Exactly. Yeah. So we had to hang, we were hanging around the hotel for about 10 hours then. We went to Manistock and we were dropped right. off in the hotel because you're waiting for the high tide. Yeah. To, to time it so that you can go up the fjord um, and it was only it was like one o'clock in the morning there was a humpback whale uh, I saw in the fjord as we were coming up wow. and so then we had to change to a dinghy because the water was getting so low to bring us around the kind of last headland to then where we climbed the steps up the kind of cliff face up to where the lodge was so you're like you know total total remote like you know um, so, so you had this lodge up here and fair place for finding and building in, in the first place. Um, and so this fish, the river, Kangi River, so zero Arctic jar, there's about 180, I think it's said 180,000 fish come into it every year. So that's the run of fish, 180,000. And what happens is there's a, they said literally the pools, just this, this ball that just gets bigger and bigger and bigger as the season goes on just stuffed with fish it gets to the stage even where sometimes you can't fish because you're just snagging them all the time um but i think when we got so basically the season was about a month behind so normally the lads would be getting into camp say in may to get it ready for i think it's end of june start of july 
Um, but it was still frozen over by May. So, and, they right. weren't, and they weren't able to get into it until June. So they said the summer was basically, the run was about a month behind. So when we got there, it was almost more like spring fishing, that you were trying to find the, the kind of the pods, the holes, the different stretches yeah. where the fish were going to be lying. But even then, it started warming up as we were getting there in the last few days. And you could, there was one pool called Hollywood. And you just saw there was just this black ball that was just building day by day. And it was just the fish. Just wow. You just just school up and they just wait there and then they spawn in October, late September, October. Mm. And then the, the, the river fro- freezes over again for, for the winter time. Like, so you've got this window, this tank, and then you've got this 10 kilometer stretch and you've got 180,000 fish Thousand. coming into it. Like it's just. And then what's the big that you were too early. So they couldn't, you couldn't take a fish. in. Yeah. So that was, but that was the official line. Yeah, oh, all right. Yeah, well, that's the that's hey, that's it's their fishery. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We got to have smoked Hollywood, smoked salmon, yeah. and it was and view was incredible. Absolutely, just yeah, off the yeah. track, and it makes such a difference. You know, you've been fishing for eight, nine, ten hours a day, and then you come home, yeah. you're knackered, you have a beer, and there's just incredible food to lay there for you. So, I wanted to speak to Bjorn just about again. You know, I suppose nearly an outsider's perspective on what it's like uh, living in Greenland. If you like like the nature, of course, Greenland is, is somewhere to go. But it's also, if you compare to Denmark, it's maybe more relaxed. And uh, you are here like expatriates to try to, to train the the local staff. And so one day maybe they can take over the, the your position. Because if you look at Manitsoc, that... We are 2,500 people, and I think we are 100 and around 100 Danes. But all the, like the hospital and the police, the supermarket, the plumber, the electrician, the the car, the selling cars and boat, all the shops are running by Danes. If you ask me, I think they, the government have made a mistake because in the olden days, the, the school system was like like that the the school was running and it, there were it was they were speaking Danish all the time and uh, and then of course they could speak their own language at home to, with their parents but then the government tried to to change the system so now they are uh, talking Greenland in in the school and they have only maybe two or three hours every week where they speak Danish. And I think it's going to be very, very hard for the next generation because I don't know what's going on with it, but I, I think it's it's uh, it's a school system because I find that it's it's very, very hard to to let... let uh, they don't want to, to work, to be honest. I mean, we have a, a fish factory and uh, uh, they bring in mo- almost 20 tons of coat every day, the big fisher boat. And normally they have, we have there's three shifts f- for cutting and cleaning the, the coats. But now they have switched down, down to, to one shift because there's no staff. And we still, we have 20% in town without a job, but they don't want to work because they get paid, f- they get money from the government and the government, the the fixed factory belong to the government, and now they have just employed twenty from China, because uh, the Greenland people don't want to to cut the fish and have, or to work.
Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of interesting. Um, particularly, it's a bit about that <laughs> the Greenlanders don't want to work. Uh, interesting. What was your take on that? I mean, me listening to that sounds a bit like they, they don't want to work. They, they don't work. We bit, come over here and we work. They yeah, won't work. Bit of a colonial kind of mindset, you can nearly yeah. say. But, uh, but, but you know, I haven't said that. It's funny. I was in a restaurant in Cashel at the weekend and same conversation talking about the next generation can't get them can't get staff they don't want to work you know you, you hear stories in ireland you yeah know, of, yeah <laughs> you know meat processing factories you know you can't get them you have to get farm workers you're here and it, i just the reason why i wanted to, i suppose talk about that point was it's universal issues whether it was greenland you know they're having to yeah. get 30 chinese into a factory in greenland or whether it's factories in ireland or wherever it is can't get staff wherever you heard yeah. that one yeah and yeah. ireland europe it's you know it's, a, it's still the same but yeah very kind of like Bjorn had some interesting things to say you know he you know he was anti kind of the way the government had um got rid of danish you know and how they introduced you know reintroduced the greenland language and so again there's a whole there's a whole thing on that and you said yeah because like there's parallels there with uh what was done in ireland like what we could like we could go on there. But oh, yeah, you, can, yeah. you, you can see the parallels there, but once again, it's you know it's the old it's colonial thing. It is, you know? it is. Yeah. But for me, though, it was interesting though when I, I when I was talking to Franz and others about it was um, just going, so what we were wondering just us the anglers wondering like how much is Greenland going to change the next few years because yeah. there's a new international airport opening in Nuuk. Um, and there's going to be direct flights from the east coast of America for the first time flying into Greenland. And you just wonder, you know, and Fran says it like, you know, well, maybe, you know, tourism needs to develop more. You know, how many people really want to be going hunting and fishing anymore? The next generation, do they really want to be going off into the mountains for three months at a time when you can be an Airbnb host? <laughs> or- yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very true. You know, I mean, if you can make your bucks that way. Yeah, you know, seriously, you know, who uh, wants the hardship? Who wants the And again, look, there's some parallels to Carob, west of Ireland. There, isn't there, Carob? You know what I mean? Yep. In terms of bringing in the kind of the foreign anglers, you know, that that was your money that would do it. Like, you know? yeah, no, very much so. Yeah, I know you can understand where they come from. That's very interesting that they're going to have direct flights. Yeah, from the East Coast of America. It's sort of making me think, God, I want to get there soon. Yeah, and that was what we were saying, like the lads <laughs> in the group. Like we were just kind of saying, God, I wonder, is this? Are you going to start seeing helipads around the place instead of hiking yeah. over mountains? Like you know, um. But it's funny, even talk like in the fishery and the land. I was just saying, like this must have been what it was like a hundred, two hundred years ago in Ireland, in the West, where there was, you know, rivers stacked full of fish, you know, less people um you know well okay 100 years ago not but 200 years ago maybe but like um but you know just going back in time you know it was like kind of this is the way it must have been you know in terms yeah. of untouched fisheries like that must have been actually fantastic to see witness uh, and to actually have yourself in a position where you you start to, god this is what where i'm from must have been like you yeah. know yeah that, that that must have been fantastic really was yeah. uh now i wanted to ask you because you mentioned it there after we've been talking to Danish chef, you said the food was good, yeah? Oh, fantastic. fantastic. Yeah. I was yeah. just like, like I said, it just made such a difference at the end of the day, just to have such good food. And, you know, you could just, can I actually say, though, the best thing, right? One of the best things, and I was really surprised the reaction from everybody when I tell them afterwards was, there was no mobile phone signal. 
There was no internet. There was no Wi-Fi. Nothing. There was a satellite phone in dire case of emergency if somebody you know, died or whatever, like yeah. somebody needs contact. And so breakfast table and dinner, we all had to sit around and talk. And it God, was, that must have been awful. You mean you couldn't check WhatsApp? <laughs> you couldn't we, do we, Wordle? We, we couldn't even ask Alexa, you know, what's the name of that song in, from 1972? But like, it was brilliant. It was so refreshing. Um, and it's funny when I tell everybody since I've come back and I tell them that, and everybody's reaction was, oh, that must have been amazing. Mm. It's so funny. Like, we're all like, oh, I wish I could do that. You know, that it was like a time 20 years ago, pre-internet, where we weren't just checking our phones. And the gas thing yeah. was, as soon as we got back to the, the, the hotel, back, we were all straight onto our phones, ignoring each yeah. other. You know, but like we had a sing song one of the nights. Um, Rohan, yeah. great guy, he's <laughs> a doctor. He had brought uh, the, 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 the boom box with him and downloaded loads of songs. And uh, one of the nights we just had an impromptu sing song. And I hadn't sung in about 20 years. And it was just, and even, and even the Greenland people in the in the kitchen, I believe, were listening and they were fascinated because I think they were saying in their culture, you know, singing, it's a lot of kind of similarities. They heard us singing about the old times, you know, yeah, the, yeah. You know the, the famine, the crown, whatever, like, yeah, you know, yeah. and it was almost for them. They could, you know, were taken back with it as well. Like, so, yeah, it was amazing. Um, and if anything, were, were most of the party Irish? So there was um, myself, kind of old, three lads from Cork who were great crack. The three lads, Cork lads, shout out to the lads from Cork. It was just, I have to say they made the trip without blowing smoke and they'd be loving this, but like they yeah. made the trip. Like the crack was mighty and mm. it takes takes the paddies, I think, to, uh, <laughs> to, Let it go on. to drink the whiskey, the beer, have the yeah. same song, to be cursing, fecking and just... Brilliant. <laughs> Having yeah. the crack, like, so. yeah. Um, and it was a couple of English lads as well, and also two Germans, Herman and Horst. Shout out to them. Uh, Herman, 70 year old man, for the last 20 years has been going to Alaska and rafting down rivers in Alaska with a group of people. He was literally just back from Alaska. He flies from Germany to Anchorage, gets his kit, his tents, yeah. fishing kit. They get a plane which takes them to the interior of Alaska. And for the next two weeks, they raft, camp out, and catch fish going down the Alaskan rivers. He's 70 years of age, and he's doing Herman. It. Herman. Good man, Herman, if you're listening. Ganz toll, Herman. Wie komme ich am besten zum Bahnhof, bitte? Yeah. That was, I told him, that was the best I learned after three years. For anyone that doesn't know, that means, what's the best way to the train station, please? <laughs> but they were brilliant they were absolutely brilliant they used to fish um the moy and the drows like oh, in, the, yeah. in, the, in the 80s um but now they're going to alaska and greenland and places so well, place like this have opened up now yeah exactly yeah. but in fairness right but he did say compared to a lot like alaska was as remote but he said yeah there he said was never as more difficult because you can get direct flights from frankfurt to anchorage Right. Um, but even just a word as well on the fisher. So the lodge, you had a 3K hike over a mountain to get to the river. So every morning you'd have to get up. <laughs> you're like literally, it's only 3K, it sounds, but you're literally hiking over mountain. Wow. So the lodge is 3K from the river. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wow. actually, no, the river is right below you, but the actual fishing stretch. Yeah. Hike three, three Ks over the mountain. So, so and like you would all set off together. You, the river will be allotted to different people, I presume. You would take dibs or what different baits. Yeah. What, would you, what would you bring? What well, you know, here's the 
this is for people who are interested in going. Chest waders? Are you walking in chest waders? Yeah. So basically what you would do is the first day is you'd bring like basically your backpack. It was the first day and the last day were the kind of toughest hikes because you were yeah. full of kit. So you'd have your waders, your rods, mm. your, your gear for the week, essentially. Your mozzie net. Very important. That uh, was the next question. There are mosquitoes there, are there? Yeah, but we actually got very lucky because it was still early in the season. Like yeah. the weather was like a shite Irish April weather, like cold and wet and miserable. Right. Um, the last few days it was starting to brighten up and you could see the mozzies start to come out and yeah. you know, yeah. whack yourself. And one of the lads got an awful bite in the air and it looked manky. But um, yeah. yeah, we were lucky, like how you know, I believe it's like a hundred times worse. But yeah, so you you hike over it with your um your pack the first morning you hack with your pack yeah you leave it out there what do you do yeah so they've got a tent there which is essentially base camp so you leave your rods and leave your waders all that stuff hanging up ah, um, nice. and so basically every day what you're just doing is you're bringing your lunch your water and even in the water you just fill from the, the rivers anyway um and yeah you just and you have your flies and your away you go like. so, and what what this is the next thing what uh kits were you using single-handed so some lads are single-handed. I brought a switch. I had a seven-eight switch, and, right. and it actually was probably better in terms of the conditions. That kind of nearly spring-like conditions, you know, it was was it windy? Part sometimes, not really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. River, river was still quite high, and right. so I found the switch a great help. Um, yeah. Lads were on single-handers as well, and yeah. and the way it would work then is you'd be di- we were divvied up into two groups so we were given a tour of the, the fishery the first day given the maps and basically then the next day it was divided so you'd one group would start lower stretch in the morning then you'd start in the upper stretch and then after two o'clock then it was free to kind of go wherever you wanted like so the bit that was the furthest away did did you get that yeah so they so they gave us a tour the first day so they brought us right up as far as the waterfall how and, uh, it was yeah it was amazing um, how did they do that just hiking through the bush like so oh, like, they, they actually you actually walked it oh the first day I, my watch so i had my watch on and i i don't measure the steps right now <laughs> like i think at the day was finally when we got back to life i think it's on 45 000 steps <laughs> wow <laughs> it's like, right. like so like you can imagine like the first day first day was like an hour's hike to base camp and then by the time we were stopping, starting, you know, when Lawson was giving us yeah. the lowdown on, on the kind of the pools and all that kind of stuff. And by the time we got to the waterfall, it was probably another hour and a half, two hours. So right. it's like, it was a long day. And then you kind of, we made our way back down then. Um, so, but like, you know yourself, human nature, we all invariably ended up fishing within like probably a 15, 20 minute walk of base camp. Okay. Like, you know? Yeah. You, and you mentioned there the, the guide Lawson great guy Welsh guide grew up um, fishing the, the sea trout rivers didn't get the river actually fished but fishing sea trout fantastic angler so knowledgeable um, you, you talked to him didn't you yeah exactly so look we might just hear from Lawson here and um, he just gives us a bit of an insight into kind of his own career and what it's like being a guide uh, in Greenland Pipe fitter well is quite a physical job, uh, working in a lot of dirty environments, long hours, working away from home. I just wanted to, and I not really enjoy the work. I just wanted to, they always say, do a job you love. Uh, so that's why I just decided to make the change. And obviously one you never regretted, I'm sure. Absolutely not, no. I mean, what a lifestyle to live. I mean, I spend most of my life either in Argentina or here fantastic what's it like for you then after the season finishes like you go back home and it's like 
you know, is it almost like the kind of military life in the sense that you have to get back used to civilian life? Does that take a while to kind of tune back into society? Uh, at first it did. Uh, now we're quite in a condition to it. Um, so when I'm home, uh, my daughters live away from home. Um, one lives on Isle of Man, the other in England. So I like to spend a little time with them. Uh, what time I can anyway. Uh, also look after my mother a little. She's getting a little bit elderly. And just take time out. You need, but when you're working in these intense environments for long periods like we do, you need that time out. The last thing I do when I finish a program is to go home and go fishing. I mean, I, I've not fished back home in over 10 years. The biggest part of it is people skills, isn't it? Yeah, certainly um, you have to assess each client psychologically uh, and manage each one differently. Some like a lot of input, some like very little, and you have to gauge that. So the first one or two days of each week is gauging the clients for sure and, and how, how to react to them and what they want. Do you think Greenland's going to change in the foreseeable future because there's direct flights coming now from America, Europe? Would you be worried about how it might potentially change? It's going to get more popular and it's certainly becoming uh, a new destination on a lot of destination anglers' uh, radar. Especially with the... You have a lot of rods that are used to going to Russia every year and I, I think uh, the problems there um, benefit the, the other destinations around the world. Uh, we certainly have a lot more interest, but... I. I don't think that's due to that issue. I just think uh, places are becoming more valuable on, on these destinations. And a, a lot of anglers book the same week year after year after year. So it's places become tight, yeah. especially during peak seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Final question, uh, Lawson. Um, what's the best and worst part of the job here? I don't think there is a worst or a best. Um, we embrace everything about the job, whether it's the physical side. Um, I mean, sometimes we, we have to move some, obviously we have the, the, to bring uh, supplies and luggage from from the step, the base of the steps, which is quite a physical task. Uh, sometimes in the early hours, it can be a bit daunting when you have to get up early the next morning. but. To be honest with you, it's all part of the experience and we just embrace what we do because we love what we do. That's really the ultimate in guiding, isn't it? You know, I mean, yeah. I tell you, some experience I can use, some angler and just in terms of insights into the river and a couple of things that struck me was one is, look, you know well, this, the psychology, it's the psychology of the job. Mm. Yeah, you know, like so I felt he was quite kind of standoffish for kind of the first day or two, but I think he was just getting the source of everyone. And then I kind of got to know him, got chatting to him by the end of the week and he was helping me with my cast and then helped me to read the kind of different currents. And I found him brilliant. And, you know, he was, he was just a really cool guy like to, to chat to like, um, but tough, tough life. Um, like oh, it's, I was just thinking there, I was just thinking it's, it's, it's almost nomadic, you know? Yeah, uh, word for it, yeah. yeah, it really is. Cause like, you know, I mean, he talks there and that the other end of the season, he's off to the Southern hemisphere, off yeah. to Argentina. And he's those gaps that he talks in between where he comes back and sees his mother, sees yeah. his daughter, and then he's, then he's off again. And it, but, it, but it's not even like you're in a place where there's no internet, there's no connection. Yeah. So like I think what Lawson used to do was so once a week, Felix, who's the camp manager who we'll hear from in a minute, 
he would go to meet the next group, you know, in Manistock in the hotel and you bring them in the boat. So that was the only time where there was internet connection. And I think Felix would actually take Lawson's phone where he would download and send any messages. It was like literally, you know, pen and paper where it used to be writing letters yeah. and you'd get a reply in a week's time, you know, and like, that's the only way to keep contact, like, you know, um, and then every day, like I mentioned that hike over the mountain, like physically, you know, I'd be fit. Yeah. And you find it physically demanding because a you're up, you know, you, you get up at seven in the morning, you have your breakfast, you make your lunch, you're gone by eight you're on the river by nine, you're fishing until six, you hike back, you're physically tired, you're on the water the whole day, you look, you know this, yeah. and then I was thinking, I only have to do that for a week, like Lawson's doing that for 12 weeks of the year. <laughs> Is that, a, it's a 12 week stint he does that? I think it's a 12, Eight? yeah, between getting the camp ready and all that kind of stuff, like, you know, and he then, must be as fit as a fiddle. Oh yeah, and he's 58, like, looks yeah 20 years younger like yourself tom but, yeah yeah it's just the guy <laughs> <laughs> it's all that it's all that air it's all good for you all that air no, it's all that psychology and summon up people as soon as yeah. you see <laughs> uh, and that's what i found fascinating like just chatting to him about it um and and then he gets home for a couple of couple of weeks couple of months and then he's over to patagonia and he told me like he's over in patagonia now this year from the 19th of december on that's the week before christmas like and you know you're at it again then you do that until whatever it is march april like come home for a rest it's like being in the military like it you know in the yeah, say that actually yeah, yeah it's like civilian yeah, life and it versus... is isn't that and then somebody somebody else was telling me that some of the guides not with this lodge but some of the guides then when they finish patagonia they go to bolivia up to the jungle yeah for yeah. another few, for I was like, gee, God, be a great documentary, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so it's tough yeah. life, it's tough life. I once thought about it, I once thought about it, and nearly at one stage you could, could have gone into it, but I didn't. I'm happy, I'm happy you're indoors. The next time I hear you complaining about how tough it is, guiding and Carl, <laughs> I'll just mention Lawson Jones, Greenland here. Okay, well, you know, I could counter with something, but, you know, I'd be held up for libel for some of the things I'd say. (laughs) But it does sound tough. I mean, like when he said, because he he mentioned the steps there and you'd mentioned about the steps earlier on up the thing and he's carting all the stuff up there straight away. Like, you know, at the start. Yeah. So this was this was one o'clock in the morning. We arrived. It was rain and the rocks were slippy. Mm. you know and like it's the changeover yeah and, you know and he's dealing with us we were like straight to the bar <laughs> two o'clock in the morning <laughs> yeah yeah the bags will be fine don't worry about it <laughs> oh god so but we might just hear actually felix was the camp manager yeah um german guy um and just before i played very calm guy um you know so he was kind of responsible for the overall smooth running of the camp 33 years of age, uh, great, great guy. Really interesting. It doesn't, we don't, you don't hear it in this part of the interview uh, that we've chosen, but he was previously uh, playing with Eintracht Frankfurt in the Bundesliga under 17s. Now, he didn't make it, he was was captain of the up to under 17 level and he got got an ankle injury. So he played with Tom, played against Thomas Muller and that World Cup generation. Yeah. Uh, got an ankle injury and that ended his football career. But he stayed working with Eintracht Frankfurt in business development or something up until six years ago. But he was always, he said, he was always 
fishing, always going on trips. Um, and he actually mentioned to me how one time he was like two weeks late for preseason because he went on a fishing trip to Alaska. So he kind of said maybe that was kind of the sign that football. Really was <laughs> um, and yeah, and then six years ago, he just was working with solid and guiding and running the camp now. So really what I always found is there was so many interesting stories to people. And that's mm. what I loved about this. Um, and you just get so many, like like I said, Danish, Inuit, Welsh, German. Yeah. You know, it was just, and that for me was just part of it. So we might just, we'll hear from Felix now, um, who was the camp manager uh, at Kangia. It's uh, certainly not a not an area that uh, you you hear of when you go to an, a university and they tell you, well, um, you know, this could be your future job. I think... <clears throat> It's getting more and more popular because, uh, you know, because of social media, people realize it's uh, it can be a job. Um, but for me, it just came along while I was doing my hosted trips. I realized, okay, there is a way to uh, earn also money. But um, as you might uh, know, it's of course not a business where you get uh, you're going to be a millionaire in the future. So it's about the passion. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you do a good job, I think you can make a living. And um, there are certain people who um, who are role model in that kind of industry. It's a tough life at the same time because it's very much based around these short seasons. You know, you're away from the world. You're away. You know, some people might say that's a good thing anyway. But you're away from. So it's very focused. You know, we're in absolute wilderness here. There's no internet. Um, is it something that? Is, is is easy easier to do in just short bursts you know um as opposed to you know it's not 12 months of the year yeah i think it's important actually because <clears throat> you um you know it's it's a very intense it's a very intense job so you usually have a seven day week um at least for me very often you don't really have a day off and um, so it's good to know okay this is my nine to I don't know maybe 14 weeks um, I I have to work this life is sometimes makes you feel uncomfortable but you get strong and um, I presume you're not kind of thinking too far ahead but what does the future hold for you in the next few years well, yeah, um, I, as you said, I'm I'm not trying to plan too much uh, ahead because you know we learned uh, things can change quickly, but you know I I really love this at the moment being uh, being in this role being on place uh, during the season um, because it you know gives you great like you exp you have a great experience afterwards and. Um, but in in the long term, I see myself maybe who knows maybe more on a on a on a more upper level when it comes to uh, operating how to operate destinations from from uh, from a far basis somewhere and then seeing those places every now and then also maybe hosting clients uh, on place so like more managing it from the outside. Um, because I mean I think there's a time for everything at the moment it fits very well to my lifestyle that I can be on place but uh, in yeah 
maybe in a few years it's uh, it's going to be different and obviously you you want to have a basis again at home so um that would be great but hey i mean <laughs> you never know i mean uh, maybe i am going to end up somewhere somewhere else uh, but my goal is to to stay in the industry because i i like it there are great people around and um i enjoy it you certainly won't be in a suit and a tie sitting at a computer that's for sure <laughs> no i i i try to to get away from that i have to say so and suit and tie is definitely not for me for sure yeah you really get the sense there dara i mean like you have to hats off to him like he's gone and he's doing something that he wants to do simple as that and do you know what and that's what i love about kind of maybe trips like this is where you just meet people who go off and do their own thing you know, like, and that's, you know, the last comment there about, yeah, the suit and tie. He's not, you know, he's going against the tide, you know. And I said it to him, you, you don't hear it there in the interview because I said it to him about, you know, when he wants to get into the fly fishing. Mm. And don't forget, he was working in business development for a, a top Bundesliga football Yeah, that's amazing. So that's he was amazing. going around the world, Asia, Europe, America, meeting, you know, companies doing all that and decided not, not for yeah. me. If he ever wears a suit and tie again, it's because he wants to. Yeah. <laughs> and not because he has to. Yeah, there you go. You know? Yeah. 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 No, so, it's great. And only 33. And yeah, just, and like, you don't hear there is he's, he sold his apartment in Germany. Wow. So you mentioned the nomadic lifestyle. So yeah. he said like, camp finishes. He's nowhere to go. <laughs> like he basically, wow. Goes, well, obviously visits his parents, visits his friends, but he's like literally just nomadic in, in that true sense of the word. Like, but so again, Felix, if you're listening, you know, I'll be looking out for a future career. Don't ever wear that suit and tie. The man, Felix. So, come here. We've avoided up until now. What was the fishing like? Oh, oh, oh my God. That was all right, like, you know. One or two fish a day, like, you know. Yeah, like, no, it was, no, it was just, yeah. It was first day you're kind of getting to grips with it, you know, just getting to read the pools and, you know, ironing out kind of any you know, kinks that needed ironing out mm. by a second, third day, you're just getting into the flow, but you're catching 15, 20 fish a day, you know, just, so they were mainly fresh. So you think of the Arctic char and you think of the orange and the reds and they're the yeah. ones in the, the, the river a good while. Yeah. And that's the ones that you kind of, the iconic kind of pictures. Um, mm. But be, like I said, because the season had started late, the fish that were there were 90% fresh. So they were silver. They're silver, aren't they? Yeah, they're bright yeah. silver. And funny enough, there's no difference between the kind of fight off the fresh ones or the the kind of older ones, the ones that are there in the river longer. Um, because, you know, you, one goes off, you think, oh, it's a fresh one. It actually, you wouldn't really tell. Yeah. But the fight, Lawson says it, he says they're the hardest, he says they're the hard, hardest fighting fish um, he's come across um, people have said like yeah. I've never fished bone fishing I've never fished but yeah. compare it to that you get one and you're down to your backing like in seconds and you're like especially the first few times you're like oh I'm into a record fish here this is it yeah I've got I've got a double figure here and it's a four pounder <laughs> like, Are you serious like, it, yeah it just it's gone and it's it's like, and you're kind of, so the average weight you were catching was four to five pounds. But like, so some of them are just like, you know, maybe every other second one was just took off. If they got into the channels, 
they were gone. And did they run downstream or upstream, or did it did it vary? Downstream. So Mainly. It, yeah, oh, right. they, they tried getting into the channels, the fast channels. On the, yeah, uh, they were gone. They were absolutely gone. And some sometimes the bigger guys would just sit there. You know, the ones kind of a bit like salmon, maybe. Yeah, just pff, I'm not moving. You can try and pull me out if you want to, like. Um, but generally, yeah, and you know they were just like I said. My, I actually recorded right the last morning. Remember we yeah. spoke before? I said, oh, well, I yeah, 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 excellent. Yeah, yeah. So, excellent. so I, was, I was delighted. I got the interview with the guys around the camp, uh, and then I decided just anyway, I stuck the Zoom recorder into my waders. So there's a bit of wind and there's a bit of kind of noise around, but I just kind of, I actually recorded it about an hour of me just talking to myself. The other guys just thought I was nuts by that stage anyway, so it didn't matter. <laughs> um, but, uh, we might just hear, I I, I, I caught a, the, the char and I just kind of talked through and you kind of get a sense of kind of the fish going off the reel and just the whole experience of it. Are we in? Yeah, silver one. See if I can get it, it's in the channel. deeper water now. He's trying to oh, head downstream. Pulling the line off the reel. We're gonna have to bully this one. Oh, he's heading down. We're heading into the back end now. Yeah. Do not want to uh, get spilled with this experience I had before. So we're gonna try and pull this in. Bring them back up the channel. This is, could be three, four pound fish and he's brought me down to the backing. They're just incredible fish. Let's see. Okay, sometimes you have to bully them. When I was first catching them at the start of the week, you're just kind of tentative, but now you really do kind of have to, you know, no, he's not interested yet. Back into the deeper water. He's in the tire now. Beautiful fish. I, I, I love the bit. Oh, there's the backing. <laughs> yeah, you know, sorry. I, because I, I, I got the feeling listing there that that wasn't the first one. Well. Got backing. You see, because normally if it was the first one, like you said, who was the backing? <laughs> every day. Like every yeah. there was one, the last it was funny, right? So one took off, right? It was probably the third or fourth day I was there. Yeah. Uh, absolute shot. And I looked down, I was down to the backing and I said, geez, I better better keep an eye on this here. Mm-hmm. And I looked from me thinking that to looking back down at the reel, I saw the very last bit of the backing and I went, uh oh. And all I heard was Bing. Are, are you serious? Yeah. The backing came off. <laughs> I jumped. I grabbed. I managed yeah. to grab the, the piece of the backing, right? Yeah. Those lads on the far side of the bank saw what was going on. And they so they started handlining the fish in for me, right? So literally pulling it. So there's me, right? So I'm the other side of the bank. I'm trying to like <laughs> retie the backing to the spool, right? Well, does this fish go nuts on the other side that the lads are literally handlining in? They landed it. The fish was still on. Whoa. It was a, it was and a, you got your fly line. 
And I got you're my thought. I that was the worst. I was thinking about. I was like, I'm not facing another two yeah. hours having to hike back to get another school. Like, yeah. So, um, got it on. It was only a four pounder. Wow. And come here. What was the biggest one you got? Uh, it was biggest close. One to, you got close to seven. Seven. Right. Yeah. And what? Was. And what? Seven was was he fresh as well? Well, yeah, fresh. He was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how did he fight? He just stayed down. He was just yeah, like that gas. Not moving. He was like, yeah come, yeah, come take me if you want. Like, you know, yeah. um, it wasn't happening. Like, so it was, yeah, it was kind of, but then when I saw the fish, I was like, wow, what a beauty. Yeah. I don't know if I sent that picture on to um, No, I didn't see it. No, um, I, haven't... I haven't seen any. Oh, hold on. I did see the picture. I don't think the picture is the seven pounders in that. I think it was my inability to do the old proper grip and grain where it's like, you know, facing down. Oh god, and yeah. And it looks and it looks twice as big as it really is. Um, I must send you a picture actually. Lawson is holding it as well. He he was doing uh, it properly. He was doing uh, it properly, yeah. He, he was doing it the way I do it, you see. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The big face <laughs> into the camera. Yeah. Like, you know? yeah. It looks like a seven pounder, like you know? yeah. But um, yeah, and, yes, amazing. And come here, what was the biggest fish taken by ever um for the week? Is, is that is seven? It was in a round, yeah. It was seven, seven, like so it was a couple of lads kind of had sevens. So not that's like er, low sevens, you know what I mean? Like mine yeah. was probably lost, was probably giving it like six and three quarters, like twitching, you know. So it was in or around right. seven. Like, and come here, we're talking about there. So you're fishing a switch, but no, the rest of them, what were you using? A floater, floater, but because the river was high, yeah, we were on um fast sinkers and even fast sinking tips, fast, is fast sinking tips, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so five just, five foot, ten foot, or what? Five foot. You wanted to get it down as quick as possible. So, so basically, five foot tip. Yeah. You're casting square across. Yeah. You're doing immediately like three or four up, upstream ends, upstream end, upstream end, yeah. upstream end. Then it starts to come around, and then the, I hadn't done it before. It's actually I think it's a Scandi style. Is it where you're pulling the rod back and forth? Just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Just to give the movement, and then when it's coming through, then you're kind of figure eighting and stripping across, like. Um, you were catching them everywhere, like between when it first landed to the dangle. You know, you're catching them all across it, like you know. Were you catching them on the swing across, though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, then even I caught a few, like as soon as it splashed down. Nice. Um, but then, so then, and the fly we were catching was green Highlander, was the one single barbus green high, Highlander, kind of like a lot of the flies were kind of like um, what would you call them, like woolly bugger type, you know, oh, yeah. kind of style. Like, yeah, 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 um, yeah. Streamer type. Um, and what size are we talking about? Tens, eights, sixes, no, sixes, big? sixes, sixes, and eights. Yes, they're sixes big enough. Yeah, exactly. I think. I think it was a lot. Of, again, it was very unusual for the time of year we went that it was high water like that. Right. So it was all about just get it down, sink it as fast as you can. And, and the tip at strength, what we using? Twelve pound. No, twenty pound. Recommend right. twenty because of the that time of year, like you know. Right. Um, um, I just wondered there actually. So 20 pounds, but uh, in case I forget, you mentioned the water. How clear was the water? Oh, crystal. Absolutely yeah. Crystal. It was yeah. incredible. But really interesting then, they would switch off. So so you could get you could get to a pool and you cast in, say, your green Highlander, and you're getting a fish a cast. And you're like, fuck, cracked it. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> this is it. And then an hour later, it, they switch off. Mm-hmm. And I remember Lawson saying to me, okay, put on a pink fly. And again, it was just something different. Yeah, so yeah. Put it on first cast, you get a fish, but you might they mightn't go for it again, you know, or you might only catch a few other ones. And then, but, 
the, the initial change would spark one or two exactly. of them on. Exactly. And then, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, very interesting, actually. Yeah. yeah. And then the Hollywood pool, which was the one that was saying with the, the big black um, ball yeah, that was just getting fish. bigger and bigger as, as yeah. the week would go on. Um, so the lads who'd been fishing it the day before, they said it was on fire. They were like, it's on fire. They said, tomorrow. Yeah. So we were fishing it the next morning. They were like, oh, you're going to clean up. The river's getting lower. It's so we get there full of anticipation, literally running up to the spot. <laughs> Tripping like, over one another. <laughs> and we're literally like, now I mean, like just shows you, like we weren't, we were catching them maybe one every five or six casts, but we weren't catching them every other cast or every cast. And we're like, what the hell's going on? And Lawson was there with us and he was like, I don't know what's going on, my friend. It's my buddy. It's They've switched off. And uh, so we were like, oh, for God's sake. So anyway, I had lunch, right? And so we were like, as I said, like we probably caught 10 by lunchtime. You know what I mean? Like, mm. here's us complaining. We've caught 10 fish of only 10 of four to five pounds. Yeah. yeah. So it was like, so anyway, we have them our lunch, you know, sitting down half an hour later. I said, I oh, you know what? I'm going to try a different stretch. So Noel and Glenn had come in. <laughs> Lawson tells me as soon as they hit the, the, the it was on fire. Like, are you serious? Yeah. So it's almost as if, you know, again, you just kind of rest the pool, you know, like it's, you know, like anything, like whether it's like salmon or whatever, or try, you know, you rest it, give them a rest, and then they switch back on. And sure, they were hitting it on fire, like, you know. So it was just, yeah, it was, it's funny between like the fishing was amazing. Uh-huh. But the memory, like, I'm kind of caught, like, the memories for me are twofold. One is the fishing is incredible, and, you know, I want to go to, like I said, far-flung destinations. Yeah, yeah. But for me, it was the adventure. Yeah. It was just being outside your comfort zone, you know, the the physical hike, the three-day trip, the no Wi-Fi, no internet. I really like that, actually. And it's just, like I said, it was like a monastic retreat, as I compared it to, you know, a bit of that, Having to talk to other people at dinner table. Yeah, same yeah, songs. Like I said, I hadn't yeah. sung in twenty years. Like, and yeah, uh, yeah I, I'd say I think everybody, if you can, just try and do it. And if you're into fly fishing, you know, I presume you're. If you're listening to this podcast, it's you'd like to think so. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> or else they have switched off a long time ago. Um, it's yeah, it's that sense. Of, like, this is my first kind of international fishing trip. So, like I said, if you can do it. Just try to do it once, you know, experience well, it. Your appetite is wetted now. So oh. that's it. Now. Yeah. So, so where, where next? Patagonia? Well, do you know, it's funny. So remember I, we, we spoke before about a local bucket list? Yeah. Yeah. Feck that. I'm like, <laughs> I don't care about the moy anymore. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, right. I'm going to ask you this question again about November, December, right? Okay. There you go. Uh, maybe you might have <laughs> I'm telling you I'm telling it's an experience to be able to do it like um but like I said the fish was only part of it you know yeah I, I can get totally what you're saying yeah, yeah I mean particularly particularly when you you relate what what it was like out there yeah, yeah definitely yeah but you know that's that's part of it yeah I mean so they say that about fishing it does bring you to some amazing places but it, it brings you also places for yourself you know um, yeah yeah very, well, that, yeah. like like when i spoke to felix about it like i was saying you know you kind of it's just you yourself that's it you know yeah. um and it was so refreshing not waking up checking your phone you know funny enough the world went on without us you know and, <laughs> <laughs> you know and people coped in my absence 
Yeah. <laughs> Didn't think they would. But... No, saying, <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Amazing. I'm not so important in this world after all. <laughs> so do you know what? I'm only just going to go fishing more now as a result. Like, See, yeah. that's it now. Yeah, it's just reiterated that completely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So right, yeah. geez, I have to say that sounded absolutely amazing. It really has. Now it's um I, I'm gonna have to put it in my bucket list now. I I still I still have the local bucket list. I haven't <laughs> Throw mine out the door. Oh, I've thrown mine out. That's good. No, no, I still, and I have the, the, the big bucket list. But like hearing you talk about that, it sounds sounds as if it was absolutely amazing. It really does. So I yeah. hope I've whetted the appetite for people. Um, but I would say just the one thing that made it was the people. Like I said, I didn't know most of them. Mm. Um, and just they were brilliant. You know, that's what made it. I, I can only imagine if you were kind of a small... And I think the guys were saying is, the camp guys were saying, is, oh, those weeks always work better. There's 12 anglers, 12 rods. Yeah. Where if you're one group, whereas if it's made up of maybe a group of two, group of three, group of two, it's much more disparate, split up, you know, little groups. We were just... Yeah. And it just made it like, it just really, really made it like so. Yeah. Shout out to all the lads. Um, you know, the L Triangle duet was we did it, we did it well. <laughs> I'll, I'll take your word for that. Okay. I believe you about the fishing, but you know. <laughs> and I sorry, there's two words, yacht rock. They'll know what I mean. Okay, there's the code, gentlemen. There it is. <laughs> he has said it. <laughs> so yeah so that was my trip we'll have to get back to Irish fly fishing next time but I, I, hope, I hope look I hope you've got some idea and I hope other people have got an idea listening to it um, I know we went off in a bit of a this was a slightly different episode but you know I think maybe it was it was worth it just to kind of give people a kind of a taster of, of look, what, yeah I hope, I hope people have got a gist from it I, I think I've got a little bit of a gist from just talking to you about it so I hope that's come across yeah. uh, really do Yep. So that's it for this week's Ireland on the Fly Greenland special. Normal service will resume next time. But don't forget to rate, review and follow the Ireland on the Fly podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Plus you can keep up to date on irelandonthefly.com as well as on Instagram. And myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland or Greenland. <laughs> Greenland on the Fly. Greenland on <laughs> I'll no problem. I'll <laughs> Greenland Tourist Board can fly me over. <laughs>